Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift and blessing of your holy and powerful presence here with us today. We thank you, Lord, just as the sunlight is filtered through these windows, Lord, and illumines and colors this place, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would shine into our hearts, Lord, and that you would make them be filled with beauty, filled with love, filled with joy and peace and hope, possibility. Lord God, we come to you in various states and having had weeks which might have been good or difficult and probably were a mix of it all. And we, we'd lay down our burdens at your feet, Lord. Those things which would impede our ability to hear you and to receive you, Lord, we lay down before you and ask that you would take them from us. Help us to worship you and to encounter you with singleness of heart and mind, Lord God. I pray that you would give me your words to speak to your people and fill us all so full of your word, Lord, which so that it just comes out of us naturally and joy in a joy-filled manner. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. Morning. It is so great to see you all today. Hallelujah. Uh, I, hallelujah is right. Now, I don't know about you, but there's some images in my mind from things I saw or experienced when I was young that still stick with me very profoundly. I imagine in the past it was really useful things like what to do with a saber-toothed tiger or things like that. For me, it's often movies. Is that useful? To have movie scenes in my head all the time from my youth. Not exactly useful. But this one in particular... Uh, has some utility today because I get to use it in a sermon, so thanks be to God. And it comes from this 1963 movie called Jason and the Argonauts. Anyone ever seen that one? It's a classic. Classic, right? Uh, and it follows Jason and his crew as they travel around the known world on the, the ship, the Argo, right? And they have all these great adventures and challenges, and um, it's really, it's an incredible movie. But there's one scene in particular that really sticks with me. And in that scene, you've got Jason and his crew are on this island. And out of the ground comes this small army of skeletal warriors, right? They come like bursting up. Right? And then they're like, they see Jason and they start coming after him. Right? Him and his crew. As a little kid... This scene terrified me because it looks so real, right? And it was done by this guy named Harry, um, what was his name? Ray Harryhausen, right? And he was known for being just a, like totally beyond his time. I mean, he just um, brought this amazing skill and talent and creativity to make these skeletons seem alive, right? It was amazing. All the stop, stop action animation stuff, moving everything around. But to a little kid... That looked so real. So real. Yeah, so then there's this great battle between Jason and the Argonauts and and those skeletons. And they fight, they jump around, and they get chased, and they knock them down and keep coming back. It's really exciting stuff there. It might look dated and campy now, but back then it was amazing, powerful. Now, the one downside of these skeletons coming back to life was what? Well, how do you kill them, right? They're already dead. 
And they're not on your team. They didn't like come and say like, oh, Jason and the Argonauts, we've made you petit four and some coffee. Like, come and sit down and let's have a little, have some tea. No, they didn't at all. No, they started fighting them to the death. And they're dead already. Right? That's really a complicated matter. Now, in the same way that that scene sticks in my head, uh, similarly, we have this scene from the book of Ezekiel. And that, as well, is embedded in my mind, and maybe your mind as well. There's no dignified way to do this with my skeleton, so... He's just gonna... Some of you might do this during my sermon, too. We're watching you. Now, Ezekiel writes in the 6th century B.C. from a place called Babylon, right? And he's part of this community of exiled people who've been taken from the southern kingdom of Judah in Israel, where the city of Jerusalem is, taken from there and brought to Babylon. And he is speaking to this community, to all these displaced people, and saying, there's hope, there's hope. Because these people had lost everything, right? They had lost their land, they had lost their homes, they'd lost their jobs, they'd often, many of their family members had been killed. I mean, it was, they'd lost everything. They'd lost the worship of God in the temple. It was all gone. All gone. And many of them, long before they were exiled, had lost their faith, too. They had nothing. Nothing to hold on to. But Ezekiel, He writes to them to reorient them back to God, to show them that the Lord is powerful and that he does care about them, each and every one of them. Now, because it's a letter to reorient them and to reveal God's love, um, it has both judgment and hope, right? Judgment to say, look, you guys were going this direction. That was a bad direction. That's why you're over here. So there's the judgment piece. And then there's hope, hope for a future, hope that this is not the end, hope that Babylon isn't the future. Hope that they can be reestablished and planted back in their land and back with their God. Now, our passage today comes from in the form of one of the most profound visions in the Old Testament. Uh, Here, Ezekiel, a priest of the Lord, is taken to this valley. And what is the valley full of? Oh, I know the answer. Right? Bones. That's right. It's full of dry bones. Can somebody give me a hand? Oh, man. This guy's falling apart. Poor guy. His head fell off at the first service, so... An arm I'm sure he's happy about. It's an upgrade. It's full of dry bones, right? Full of dry bones, the whole valley. It's like a huge battle that has taken place there, and nobody stuck around to do cleanup afterwards. Right? Just bones everywhere. To quote another movie scene that might be going through your head right now, The Lion King. Right? Remember when Simba goes and checks out the elephant graveyard? It's like that, right? Just bones everywhere. Now, not only are these bones stripped, but they're also very dry, like they've been baked under the desert sun for years. The Lord asks Ezekiel a question. Mortal, can these bones live? Can these bones live? What do you think? Can the bones live? I don't give them a great chance, right? If it was up to me, right? I mean, what can you do for bones to make them alive? Well, like CPR or something? No. There's nothing. I, 
I don't know what I would do. Neither does Ezekiel, but Ezekiel knows who knows what, what can be done, right? Who can, who knows the answer for this? God does. And you do because you read the text, right? God knows the answer. And so Ezekiel, uh, this is a good technique for any of us when we don't know the answer for it. You say, oh Lord God, you know. You know. I should try this with my wife too, maybe that works as well. If she asks me questions, oh dear, you know. You know. So what will take place is in some measure, what's going to happen in this book is in some measure response to the previous chapter where God promised a new heart and a new spirit for his people. We promised them that. Could he really do it? How would he do it? How is that going to happen? Well, in some way, this is the answer to that previous chapter. But the first step in this process is undeniably an odd one. The Lord tells Ezekiel to prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, I am not an expert in human anatomy, but I'm under the impression that it is difficult to hear without ears. Is that true? Right? And even if one could hear without ears, I believe it is also difficult to understand without a brain. Right? Am I, am I on the right track so far? Is this common understanding? Okay. Good. And furthermore, that even if one were to hear and to understand, it is difficult to do anything if you are dead. Right? I mean, I didn't go into medicine, but I think I'm right on this track here. And yet, and yet, in an act of faith, it's an act of faith of Ezekiel, to preach, to prophesy to the bones. He could easily just say, that's ridiculous, God. They're bones. They can't hear. They don't have ears or brains or anything. What am I going to do? But instead, he begins to prophesy as commanded. And as he's doing it, the bones begin to rattle, right? And they begin to organize themselves. Come on, arm. No, it's not working today. I was hoping for it. But they begin to come back together, reorganize themselves, and sinew begins to knit them together, then flesh, then skin. Now I can say that despite this being an amazing thing to witness, I hope that Ezekiel didn't have dinner plans after this, because ew! (laughs) Could you imagine seeing that? Like a body forming from the inside out? Like, ew! Yuck! Okay, so... They're now fully assembled, but what? What state are they in? Still dead, right? Still dead. They're all together. They look great. They're just dead. They're just not, there's nothing there. There's a body, but that's it. So now instead of a, a, a valley full of bones, he's in a valley full of corpses. Right? The bodies are empty. They have no breath. They have no spirit. And so the Lord tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the breath. Now, a helpful tip right here is that the word for breath in Hebrew means three things. One is breath. 
The second thing it means is wind. The third thing it means is spirit. Spirit. Breath, wind, spirit, same word. So following these instructions, Ezekiel prophesies to the breath, saying, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. Or, equally accurate would be a translation which says, Come from the four winds, O spirit, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And they do. They do live. And they form an army. Now, does this remind anyone else of Genesis? Remember when God forms Adam, he takes the dirt and and makes it together into a man. And then what is the final thing he does to it? Breathes on it. And then it has life. We see God breathing the spirit into Adam. And then he becomes a living human being. The same thing. Ezekiel prophesies to the spirit and then the spirit breathes into these corpses and they become alive again. Now the Lord takes a moment to educate Ezekiel on what this is all about. He tells him the Lord is not building building an army of fallen warriors for world domination. Rather, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live And I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act. According to the Lord, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They're dead. They're dead. They felt that they had no hope, no future, nothing between them and the grave. But the Lord wanted them to know that there was indeed hope in him alone. You see, the Israelites were hopeless because they had placed all their hopes in themselves. They had placed all of their hope in their own ability to carry out and live themselves in this, live in this world and to be successful. That's where all their hope was. And so when they were displaced, when they were exiled, when they lost everything, where was their hope? They had been shown that they had no power to protect themselves. No power to be successful. They lost everything. And their hope, like a tree, had been chopped chopped down because it was purely based on themselves. But the Lord, through Ezekiel, wants to offer them a hope that is not founded in themselves, but founded in Jesus Christ alone. And in God, there was life And also a hint of the resurrection. You can see it kind of woven in this passage as well. Now, despite my love and fear for the skeleton scene in Jason and the Argonauts, like I said earlier, there's the major weakness to it. And the major weakness was those skeletons were bad. Right? It was basically the opposite of the Ezekiel passage. There was no hope. If those skeletons start popping out of the ground, you run. You don't stick around to watch what's happening. 
Indeed, it's hard to think of any movie or book that has a dead thing coming to life, which is good. Right? Got zombies. Uh, we'll even include like vampires and werewolves, things like that. Right? Skeletons. Okay. Yeah, like it's not good stuff. You don't want that to happen. But with God, with God, if it's his work to bring the dead to life, it is for their good and for the good of the world. The Lord wants to do this to his people Israel. He wants to give them new life. Now today we find ourselves worshiping in this church on the day of Pentecost. The day when we remember that the Holy Spirit came and breathed life into the disciples and into what would become the new nation of Israel, the Christians. All those who would put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord breathes into them. And the Spirit, like in Ezekiel, animates those who put their faith in God. Just as when God brought those corpses and put them back together, before they were alive, they had no spirit, but then once they had the spirit, there was a massive change, and they were suddenly a living human. In the same way, there is a massive difference between us without God and without the spirit, and us with the spirit. It is just like going from death to life. The Holy Spirit that breathed life into those bones is the same one that alighted on those people in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And he is the same spirit who wants to breathe life into us today, who wants to take our dry bones, who wants to take our dry lives, who wants to take our empty hopes, our failing dreams, our weaknesses, our brokenness, and breathe life into them so that we can truly, truly live. And the life that God offers is not like the Jason and the Argonauts reanimated skeletons. It's not an evil life, a life of destruction. It's a life of hope and a life of purpose, a life of meaning, a life of service, a life which is good for us and for the world. Today, May we come to Jesus Christ, put our trust and hope in him, and may the Holy Spirit breathe into us that we might truly and eternally live. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that you take us bags of bones, Lord, and breathe new life into us. We come to you in our various states, Lord, but all of us knit together by the common the common understanding that we have fallen short of what you have called us to. We ask for your forgiveness, Lord. We ask for your mercy, your love, and your healing in our lives. Lord God, take what is broken, take what is dead, and breathe new life into us. Lord, this is not something we can do on our own. This is not something we can muster up inside ourselves. We pray that you and you only would do this work for us. Lord God, and send us out into this world. Send us out into this world to do good, to serve you, to love you, to serve and love our neighbors as ourselves, Lord God. 
Help us to walk in humility, knowing that we have not earned or deserved this work you have done in us, but that you have given it to us freely. And so may we give freely of ourselves. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.